What up, people? Hello, hello, hello. Hey, 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 it's Laura. And this is Ardeen, and welcome to What Happens After Dark. Darkness. Dracula. <laughs> Bats. Werewolves. <laughs> Vampires like Edward. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Edward. He was oh such a gen- gentleman. As a vampire, he was such a gentleman. <laughs> You're so in love with him. <laughs> yes, I am. I like the werewolf kid. I don't know his name. <laughs> Jacob. Yeah. Just ask me. I know all the Twilight characters. Oh, okay. I'm a Twihard. I can I'm a Harry Potter. So. <laughs> oh, so what about the news that Cruz... Yeah. Okay, oh so we have someone at work that was going on a cruise, and yeah. when we heard this, the first thing that came to our mind was her. Is like, but thank God it's not. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's she's really, having a good time. It's really sad, and uh, I mean, it just says that she fell from a balcony, but onto another passenger. The passenger that she landed on, it was okay, but you know, the that lady that fell, she did die. So out there on the Virgin, and I can't imagine how much like that would be hard for the crew and hard for you know the people on the ship to like hear that, like yeah. know that that happened, like or I would not have wanted to watch that. No, no, or even know about it. That would ruin my trip. Yeah, but was it high for her to fall and die? But yeah, because that person should have break the fall. So, um, she did, she, I'm not sure if it was a very, um, top one, um, but it it was definitely from like one of the higher decks. Okay. Um, and then fell onto the uh, the lower one and it was sailing off to Roatan, Honduras. Okay. So, and left from Miami, but I just, I feel so bad for like, I mean, you go on vacation to have fun. Yes. And then you're just leaning and if you fall, you know, just like that. It was That's what I was like. How did how did she fall? Did she? Did it didn't the say ship that she was like suicide or anything. It just maybe she was leaning over, just looking at the ocean and lost her and, and the lost weight. her balance. Yeah, because it could get like dizzy, you know. Yeah. When the ship is moving, and she probably lost her balance. Yeah. How it just sad. shows you that freaky things can happen no matter what the circumstance. Exactly, and I do not like ships. Oh. I don't think I'd ever do a cruise. Oh, I can't. I'm I don't do one. I've done a harbor cruise out of oh, no. San Pedro, um, California, and. I loved it. We did that as a youth. And so, oh gosh, that leads into a funny story. So, okay, tell the, us. At my youth group growing up, um, the youth were always really tight. This group, group I grew up with in Long Beach. And um, and I, this guy had a crush on me. His name was Aaron. I won't say his last name. We were actually scheduled to get married when he got back from his mission, but I met Vince. But anyways, when we, when we were youth, he had this huge crush on me. And we called him Indiana Jones. And let oh. me tell you what. <laughs> He never went anywhere without his Indiana Jones hat, oh. his long trench coat, and a whip. Oh, fine. No. So when we went on the harbor cruise, and they had dancing and stuff, so of course, you know, he asked me to dance, and and I never said no because I love to dance. It didn't matter to me, but I just remember that we all used to call him Indiana Jones, and I feel bad because that was a form of bullying, and bullying is not good no matter what, but... Um, then later on, um, I had moved from Long Beach my, right before my senior year of high school. And um, I remember we got in contact again. And it wasn't 
via social media because we didn't have we social didn't have it then yeah no uh-huh. so I don't remember how but he was leaving on his mission to the Philippines for the LDS church and I said okay hey I'll write you so we stayed in contact through his whole mission and then like a month before he was due to come back um I met Vince and then that was oh. the end of that and he actually ended up marrying um the chief's daughter a princess um, from the Philippines and um, so it's really interesting how that and I remember when I went to Long Beach after I was dating Vince I still wanted to go back and say hey welcome home yeah and I felt I was such a stupid young girl I had hickeys all over my neck <laughs> I mean welcome home <laughs> your neck looking like a giraffe snake <laughs> So I just remember that. He was such a nice guy. And he, thank goodness, wasn't there. But his mom was there. And she she was kind of a biatch. We all knew that. Yeah. From, but I remember her looking at me like, What? <laughs> You're coming to say hello to my son with all that? <laughs> yeah. You didn't even cover it? <laughs> I have a birthmark on my neck. It's probably gone now. But it, when I was younger, because I was so white whiter than what i am right now uh, one of my ex-boyfriends thought it was a hickey and i'm like it's it's a birthmark just wait and we dated for a while yeah and it's like oh you're right that is <laughs> it's like it doesn't go away <laughs> and it's brown it's not purple i just, uh, i look back at that time now and i'm like i was such a idiot but <laughs> in a way i'm kind of glad that's hilarious I always I'll say his last name. If you do listen, Aaron, just know that I'm not exploiting you. You were better than than what I was looking for at that time. But his last name was Heimberg. Is Heimberg, and so I always tease my kids. Like Ashley, you could have been Ashley Heimberg or Shania Heimberg or Zachary Heimberg, and they're like, and now. (laughs) So, but yeah, he was a great guy, and. And I'm sorry for all the bullying, Aaron, calling you Indiana Jones. And Well, that's not yeah. necessarily bullying. You put nicknames on friends all the time. This is we true. We did it in high school. I was gringa loca. <laughs> crazy white girl? No, crazy gringa. Gringa they call to the Americans. Oh, okay. Gringos? Yes. Yeah, so gringa is for women. So they oh. call me crazy gringa. Oh, I was, my gosh. <laughs> you know, we, we all had our nicknames. I know. Mine was lizard because my tongue is so long, guys. It's so long. <laughs> I can touch the tip of my nose. We'll oh. go beyond that. But, yeah, so my friends called me lizard yeah, growing up. That's funny. It's just hilarious. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the things we do. Were you ready for part two of oh, the... Embrace yourself. Yeah. There's explicit content, so yeah. if you can't handle details, gory stuff uh, about killers, uh, you might not want to hear it, but yeah, let's let's get it going. And our disclaimer is, you know, uh, what happens after dark does not condone any kind of violence or rape or murder or anything we're just giving you the details you know that can be found anywhere on the web so and my um i forgot to do my where i found everything last time so i mentioned some in there the second part is more murderpedia and wikipedia um if i if i do get to a point and it's something else i will let you guys know 
Um, so we're going to start off now with police pressure. Um, do you remember we were talking about the night soccer, Richard Ramirez? Um, never had an age group that he particularly went after. It was just, you know, whoever had the best house he wanted to rob. Um, ranged anywhere from nine years old up to, you know, in their 80s. 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 Late 80s. Yeah. So I'm just disgusted. Disgusting. Um, so it says in Los Angeles County, and this one's from Murderpedia, both the country, our county and municipal police were. Um, anything but idle. They recognized and admitted to the enormity of the problem they had as long as the night soccer was free to roam. No one was safe, but how, they wondered, leash a mad dog that seems to be invisible. Um, and that's because he was, he just, he was a nomad. He didn't stay in one area. He would go back to an area, but he didn't stay in one area. Mm-hmm. So that it was hard. Um, more than any other lawman, Detective Sergeant Frank Salerno of the County Department's Homicide Squad was the man most props to answering that riddle. He knew how tricky the mind of a homicidal, homicidal maniac could be to box and tag. Having played a large role in tracking down L.A.'s Hillside Strangler mm-hmm. a decade earlier, we will cover that one down the road too, he was, for the matter, the first to sense that the Valley had another serial killer on the loose. I feel like California has a lot of serial oh, killers. Oh, yes. Yes. It's interesting to me. Maybe because it's an easy, like, pathway. I mean, you could go... Anywhere. Yeah, you could go south, go escape into Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, or go north and go to another state, whatever, or go out on a boat. Who knows? Anyways, so in June 1985, not long after the killings began... Salerno took it upon himself to list similarities in the up to then six murders in suburban Los Angeles. Certain things matched. Collected fingerprints, recovered cartridge Mm -hmm. shells from the .22 caliber, and even a a distinct method of breaking and entry, all the same. Imprints of the same design tennis shoe Mm -hmm. identified as the Reebok. Oh, so now this murder PDS says it's Reebok. Um, high top size 11 or maybe that's what he switched to when the idiot lived when yeah i'm sure so it all told just a startling tale but more revealing still the description of the killer himself was nearly identical in each case where a living person had been left to talk tall gaunt dark hispanic in his late 20s early 30s and downright ugly and again if you look at his picture he's ugly yeah yeah no there's no. no. Some were handsome, like um, the killers, like Ted Bundy. He was good yeah, looking. Yeah, he was good looking. Charming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now signs of devil worship were surfacing in many of the killings. Apart from the pentagrams discovered at Malvia Keller's house, the murderer had, according to survivors such as Ruth Wilson, demanded that they mouth such phrases as, I vow to Satan, or I love Satan, or he would kill them. Nor had Salerno forgotten the baseball cap with the rock group ACDC's emblem found after the uh, Okazaki murder. He recalled that one of the band's songs hinted at Satanism. I remember that. You played it backwards or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Backwards song. Yeah. Um, He took this evidence to his superior, Captain Robert Grime, who was impressed. From Grime, Salerno sought and gained permission to check with the LA city forces to compare notes. Perhaps he thought they had been encountering like cases unsolved, which might compare to the elusive killer's track record. 
Brian recognized the wisdom in Salerno's suggestion to check with the LAPD, reports Clifford L. Weindecker in Night Soccer. No one wanted a situation similar to the Hillside Strangler case when both the LAPD and the Los Angeles Sheriff's deputies worked their investigations alone and independent of each other. The result for the police agencies had been missed opportunities, confusion, and embarrassment, which I feel like they, a lot of police forces now are working better together. Together. County and cities. Communicating to make a case mm-hmm. and, and to find them because most serial killers don't stick to just one neighborhood. They try to travel to cause that confusion so i think they're doing a lot better now yeah they trying are. to figure it out oh i got a case just like that here too and the, connecting the dots yeah and that's what helps bring a lot of these guys yes mm-hmm. be caught um, and the technology alone yeah we have so, so much, much better, better so much better now. um salerno and Grimm envisioned a task force compromise uh, comprised of the top police investigators throughout the county and the city of Los Angeles. After discussion with the LAPD, the later decided that it would invest in its own separate task force, but promised to work around the clock and closely with Salerno, who had already been given a squad of detectives dedicated to finding the Night Stalker. While separate entities, both investigative teams operated as committed as one, feeding information back and forth and partnering in any activities to maintain a single direction. Serlano, in the meantime, conferred with two of his top men who had directed the investigative efforts into two of the stalker's previous crimes. Um, They provided invaluable um, in formatting the investigative team and keeping its work strategic. Detective Gil Carrillo had been one of the uh, first Plain clothesman introduced to the Night Stalker's handiwork when he was assigned to the Okazaki shooting. Mm. Besides being familiar with the history of the latest serial killer, Salerno called on Carrillo's inter, let's see, intrinsic, intrinsic, intrinsic. knowledge of computers, a technolo- technological expertise Salerno lacked. To create a database for incoming and outgoing information. That's cool. He created that da- a database for all that. That is really That's cool. really That's nice. Um, on the other hand, Detective Russell Uloff helped Salerno determine the kind of psychopath they were dealing with. Um, his study of the Zazara butchery showed that the mutilations ravaged on Mrs. Zazara were done after she was dead. The gouging out of the eyes, the eyes of the killer eventually took with him was enacted in, in sort of a satanic cult act. Um, but while his formidable adv- adversaries were seeding the roots of war against him, the Night Stalker managed to slip by them in the cover of darkness to commit the murders of Higgins, Cannon, Nelson, Needing, and um, Asawam. So there's some listed here that we did talk about, mm-hmm. um, probably because there were there just wasn't enough on the internet. And, but, mm-hmm. Um, The series of tragedies necessitated that by early August, the task force more directly include the suburban law enforcement agencies around Los Angeles, where the devil continued to hunt with a manpower of 200 investigators, (gasps) 200 men out there looking for this. For this dude. It was the largest operation of its kind ever created. 
beside the full-time force, Salerno called in subject experts from the Federal Bureau of Investigations, FBI, Criminal Profiling Unit, like... Uh, to help, like, like, Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds, the BC. Awesome, though, I mean... That's cool. Um, let's see. They narrow, uh, then narrowed the types to which the night stalker came closest, not leaving a stone unturned. The task force even consulted personalities with knowledge on devil worship and cultist torture rituals. Nice. Mm. Investigators following the Satan cult theory fell on places where such groups assembled. They questioned followers of these leagues about their membership, hoping that they might uncover the identity of the killer in their company. While they could not uncover a suspect, they did find something very interesting on the floor of an East Los Angeles cult hall. They found a shoe print that matched the imprint of Reebok tennis shoe size 11, um, located at many of the murder scenes. So Salerno wanted the killer to feel the heat, to panic and blunder into the open through his own hysteria. The detective had seen it happened many times. Criminals feeling the pressure leap before looking and announce their guilt hands up by doing something stupid. I feel like this guy was doing stupid. Stupid from day one. Yeah, he was <laughs> stupid. Um, to meet this end, he made sure that the task force started feeding the media pieces of evidence they uncovered, large and small, even unfounded information to give the killer the impression they were closing in. Simultaneous to the big squeeze in August, the task force announced its formation at a press conference keynoted by representatives from the county sheriff's office at a conference, which was heavily attended by an anxious press. The speakers officially confirmed the existence of a dangerous serial killer wandering at will in the Los Angeles uh, Valley. We are concerned there is an individual who is responsible for more than one murder, multiple murders, admitted Robert A. Edmonds, Los Angeles County Assistant Sheriff. County Sheriff Sherman Block assured the public, however, that all surrounding police agencies were combining, um, combing the streets to end the spree. Authorities asked for the public to keep calm, to keep doors locked, and to report any suspicious activities or persons in their neighborhoods as soon as they manifested. Um, the press conference kicked off a campaign to make the public more aware of and to make it more active in the apprehension of the Night Stalker. Salerno's task force distributed flyers, leaflets, and wanted posters bearing the composite sketch of the killer. Posters soon hung in every visible passage in every public byway. Good. And, yeah, they flooded. They absolutely. Um, and a citizen could, like, nobody could take a walk without seeing a poster. Seeing it something. Just, it's in your face. Good. Um, and things began to pop. Telephone calls from men and women, some calling anonymously. They just poured in. And faceless voices and unassigned letters of concern led police to strange going-ons in the neighborhood. Um, or to oddball neighborhood characters who fit the Night Stalker's description. Not a lead was overlooked. Transients, vagrants, and vagabonds were questioned, as were those oddball neighborhood characters. Good. Um, terror that had gripped the people of Los Angeles had now prompted by the police turned um, to a obstinacy. The um, populace transformed from a group of frightened individuals into a committee of daring hunters begging for their chance to catch the nighttime ghoul. And that's, it like empowered them. Like, the, you know, they, I remember the news on it this. It makes all the people want to 
to look for him and be aware and say, hey, he's right here. Yeah. Let's awesome. Get him off the what a task. Yeah. And I just, I remember watching like TV coverage of that and, you know, they did, they just like came together and mm-hmm. worked as one to bring mm-hmm. this guy down. Um, so if he wanted to pray on them, well, they cried, let him pray because now they were waiting. The family man and the businessman and the housewife, they had bought guns and loaded them, or they had as their weapons, shovels or pickaxes or kitchen knives or any one of the dozens of homemade utensils mm-hmm. pointing their way to the night stalker's heart. Nice. Suddenly, the night stalker realized that things had changed. He found their lights burning at night, a silhouette in the window. Suddenly, he found apartment buildings with hired guards pacing the lobby. Suddenly, he found citizens' committees strolling about and in and out of the um, alleys, the parks, the streets. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, he found their windows nailed shut, porch lights left on, backyards illuminated, and by safety beams. Suddenly, he found defiance. Nice. The civic forces, too, were out in droves. Patrol cars were everywhere, marked and unmarked vehicles. Townsfolk volunteers um, Mm -hmm. had been deputized as well to drive in the dark, licensed to throw their search beams at anything that moved or crept or crawled. And if it resembled a night stalker, to step on it. The devil, the ghost, the ghoul, the phantom, the stalker, it was time for him to leave Los Angeles. He shrugged after all, no matter. He would go elsewhere. He would kill somewhere, anywhere. So he didn't care. He was just like, I'll just go to the next place. Mm. So we're going to talk about his capture now. Um, nice. When they did so finally he did get, get, get captured him. in LA. Nope. He got actually captured somewhere else. Oh, so he did go somewhere He else. fled. Yeah, he fled. Son of a <laughs> bitch. Yeah. So on August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother. Unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California, after failing to meet his brother due to him not being home, Ramirez returned to Los Angeles. So he came back. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Early on the morning of August 31st. And again, this is stupidity because I would imagine if they kind of know who he is, they're going to be like waiting at the family homes to try to get him. Of course, that's what they're going to yeah. post is the family. Again, there's, you know, you, yeah. can't, you can't help stupid. I mean, yeah. there's nothing you can do. So he did happen to walk past some police officers, though, who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes of catching the killer. Should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus into convenience or into a convenience store in East Los Angeles. After noticing a group of elderly Hispanic women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, literally the killer in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> El Matador. Yeah. <laughs> I would be screaming too. Um, Ramirez saw his face on the front page of the newspaper, La Opinion, with a headline calling him Invasor Nocturnal, Night Invader, mm-hmm. um, and fled the store in panic. After running across the Santa Ana Freeway, the I-5, which is a very busy freeway, he attempted to carjack an unlocked Ford Mustang, but was pulled out by angry resident Faltisto Pinon. Ramirez ran across the street and attempted to take a car from 
could take the car keys from Angelina de la Torre. The woman's husband, Manuel de la Torre, witnessed the attempt and struck Ramirez over the head with a fence post in the pursuit. A group of over 10 residents formed and chased Ramirez down Hubbard Street in Boyle Heights. Cut the off. group of citizens yes. and held Ramirez down and relentlessly beat him. Good. Yes. Oh. I love this. It's like a, this is awesome. At around 8 a.m., police were called over to a disturbance in the area with few details with indications of a fight. Police quickly arrived at the 3700 block of Hubbard and found that Ramirez was severely beaten and unarmed and took him into custody. The Good. crowd grew to several hundred people and was becoming unruly towards Ramirez and responding officer Andy Ramirez, no relation, um, stayed behind while officer Jim Kaiser drove Ramirez to the Holland Buck police station. And I mean, if I saw somebody that they were trying to get, I mean, my first instinct would be to beat him. But then I think I want him to go to prison and I want him to get raped. I want oh, him yeah. to get beaten in there. Yeah. I want him to get shivved or shanked or <laughs> and get tortured. Yeah. And- Every day. Yes. So, I mean, if this ever happens, just let, you know, keep them there. Let the police take them because, you know, hopefully justice will serve and help. So, and I've never been to Although I would have beaten him. I would have kicked him in the face and in the balls. Oh, I would have kicked him in the balls over and over Over. and over. I would have just skied. Satan told me to do it. I'm going to kick you until he says stop. I love Satan. <laughs> Say you love Satan, motherfucker. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Say it or I'm going to take your eyeballs. <laughs> Give him back to his own little <laughs> Shove him down his throat. <laughs> oh. Here's oh. the meat the ball is for you. <laughs> Want some tacos? (laughs) 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 (sighs) Okay, so jury selection for the trial began on July 22nd, 1988. At his first court appearance, Ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan! On August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside and intensive searches were conducted. Yeah, like he's going to get through. Hello, there goes stupid. Yeah. And if you look at the pictures, you can see that on his oh, the tattoo. A tattoo of the pet and it and it's upside down. Yeah, and it's got the circle around the it. circle. That's that's Satan right there yeah. when it's upside down, like when the two are, the yeah. two of the stars are up, up, and not the single one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about. I mean, I do practice not a lot of witchcraft, just like positive things. But mm-hmm. Ash knows a lot about that stuff too, mm-hmm. and. But yeah, I just, I remember that, the trial and and stuff. And he was so like, I remember seeing one where he's just sitting there so arrogant, just smiling like, who cares? I killed these people. I don't care. The one that I, I'm going to see if I save that interview on YouTube, not YouTube, uh, TikTok. And we'll- With him? they they're doing a, an interview or something with him i that when i saw the picture i'm like oh, yeah i just saw this guy holy and it's insane it's it's like you can see he, he's yeah 
way out of his yeah. bunkers. Yeah. Scary. Scary, scary, scary. Yeah. He he was terrifying. Just his methods to me were terrifying. Just no, his and like face. you said, no one was safe because he wasn't targeting one age it, group. Yes. So no one was safe. It was just the house that he thought that could have valuables and then whoever was in it was in it. Like home alone. When <laughs> Where they call themselves the wet the wet something bandits or the something. Wet, the wet bandits. <laughs> Um, let's see. Okay. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. Um, the jury was tes- terrified, wondering um, if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell and whether or not he could reach other jurors. However... It was ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible oh. for Singletary's death, and um, she was shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later oh. committed suicide with the same weapon in his hotel. Um, the oh. alternate jury who replaced Singletary was too frightened to return to her home. I would be too after that, because yes. it's just, it hits too close to home. Um, on September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all 43 charges. Good. 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. Good. Um, during the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to death in California's gas chamber. Mm. He stated to reporters that um, after the death sentence, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. <gasps> Crazy, huh? Oh, my God. The trial cost $1.8 million. Um, in 2021, it would have been about $3.93 million, um, which at the time made it the most expensive murder trial in the history of California until surpassed by the O.J. Simpson. I was just going to say, what about O.J.? That one was expensive, too. I was just thinking O.J. Yeah. When that, I remember when that one got, you know, announced that he was not guilty. I remember I cried because that was too that much. That was such a screw up. That that whole thing was that was so yeah. And then they get him for what was it, tax evasion? Yeah, and then and he destroyed a hotel room in Vegas or something like that, like just Stupid. demolished it. Yeah. Um, the defendant himself was totally void of comportment. Judge Nelson repeatedly was forced to warn him to subdue his erratic behavior. His incessant displays of contempt towards opposing counsel and witnesses. Um, uh, Messrs. Hernandez, the court noted, were not supportive of the court, for they often joked and jived along with Ramirez at the counsel table. Ramirez laughed a lot and joked with his attorneys, even cackling loudly during crucial testimony. Um, states Lynn Diker. Once he laughed loudly during a young widow's testimony and caused several spi- uh, spectators to cry as she tearfully described how her assailant had raped oh. and beaten her while her slain husband lay nearby. Sometimes Ramirez sneered openly at the prosecution. Um, he smirked when he came across a death scene photo, especially if he liked it. Oh my God. The suspect seemed to enjoy staring down witnesses at the podium in an effort to fluster them, for he realized the power of fear in yep. his Rasputin dark eyes. 
At one point, the wary judge who had enough of mind games warned him to stop and he yelled, stop now. Like he just, like yeah. you're telling a child, just yeah. stop it. Um, this guy just has like no, no empathy. Like nothing. Empathy. There's nothing. Nothing. There. nothing. Um, Ramirez tested the warning and once again set his black pupils on the next witness to take the stand. The judge nodded to the bailiff and the bailiff physically yanked the defendant's head in the other direction. Ramirez grunted and leaping to his feet attacked the bailiff. Within seconds he was overcome by the courtroom guards who dragged him from the chambers back to his holding cell. Like I don't I think they should have just put like a something over uh, his head. Like a bag over and his, have his head. And his hands so he couldn't yeah. take it off. Uh-huh. Um yeah. Hernandez and Hernandez cried unfair. These are his attorneys. But everyone else, including the judge, gleefully closed their ears. They're like, thank God he's gone. Yes. Um, the press loved the confrontation. Finally, a little justice was exhibited, and they made the most of it. Um, so let's talk about the justice. So Judge Tynan's courtroom hummed with excitement the day the trial opened in late January. Estimated length of the trial, claimed reporters, was four to six months. Television cameras allowed to shoot portions of the trial remained unobtrusively behind the reporters, scratching their observations um, into steno pads. And on the public benches, lawmen who had taken part in the capture of Ramirez, including Detective Frank Salerno, sat in shout out to him. I know. He's amazing. Amazing. Um, Let's see, and he felt lucky to actually obtain a seat there. Defendant Richard Ramirez sat calmly at the counsel's table. His lawyer had dressed him in a conservative suit and had seen his stringy hair was styled. Sunglasses covered his menacing gaze. Oh, so they did finally do something. And oh. I think one of the pictures shows he's got like these really like Le- dark, dark sunglasses. Black. Good. So maybe they told him, oh, you'll look so cool. You should wear these. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, right on. Yeah, right on, man. So stupid. I'm going to put them on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, a gavel announced the commencement of the proceedings. And as a bailiff called for quiet, only the whir of the ceiling fan could be heard. Then prosecutor Philip Halpin spoke. He addressed the jury, reminding them that they were to try a... They were going to try a vicious monster who had no regard for human life or decency, a ghoul who had tortured, killed many, and had left many alive to face days of pain and deformity. He reminded them that this monster worshipped the devil and fed to him innocent people as sacrificial lambs, their own beds being the chosen bloody altars. So I do want to say one thing about... um, So... In my studies um, and speaking with some of the guys at Cat and Cauldron, um, Satanism isn't actually, a lot of it is not like bad. There are Satanists that are not anything like this. Um, and they're, it's not like a lot of, it gets picked, it gets painted to be like this really dark, scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, if it's right, it's not that way. It's, okay. it, yeah, it's not like that. So um, I don't want 
for people to be angry at us because we're slamming them. We are not slamming your religion. This is your choice. And, you know, what you do in your in your sacred space is up to you. It, you know, if unless you turn like Richard Ramirez, but that could be a Christian that snapped and exactly. killed him. I mean, yeah. it doesn't they focus a lot in on this site satanic but it's this man that turned that into a negative connotation when it's not necessarily a negative connotation so he he used this satanism in an evil way well yes and when you talk to somebody and you say things about the satanistic um religion the satan satanic religion what is that and that gives you fear right mm -hmm, and of so course. That's that's where the falsehood is. It's not there to create fear. Um, it's it's different. And so, the, what he does is he uses it to fear control. And because he was an ignorant, stupid human being. Like, what does he know? Nothing. I mean, he yeah. was stupid his yeah. whole life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there was no doubt. He said that Ramirez was guilty. Four different small caliber handguns um, that belonged to him were traced down as far away as Texas. Wow. Ballistic tests already proved they killed the victims. Jewelry belonging to several other victims was located at his sister's home in El Paso, uh. where the women um, unwittingly accepted them as gifts. So it was given to his sister's gift. Then there were Ramirez's finger and shoe prints found at the crime scenes. And then, of course, there were witnesses, many of them, ready to come forward to identify Ramirez as their rapist, their assailant, and the killer of their husbands and boyfriends. Um, we, um, he concluded, we have alleged these murders are in the first degree, were premeditated, and occurred during burglaries or other crimes. We are asking for the death penalty. Good. Defense lawyer Daniel Hernandez waived his opening remarks until the per prosecution fully concluded um, its forum later in the trial. Halpin had made such a dent that it was obvious that at this point there wasn't uh, much one could say in rebuttal. In fact, as the trial progressed, Hernandez's weak start became weaker, not only because the prosecution's evidence was so strong, but because his partner, Arturo, suspicious, suspiciously proved to be a no-show. Going it against it alone, a Goliath, Daniel Hernandez, was overwhelmed and exhausted. A month into the trial, Hernandez per announced he required medical leave. So the second attorney went MIA. He's like, there's no way I'm defending this. this yeah. yeah. Nope. How can you, with a conscious mind, defend a monster? I mean, I, even though it's their job, but it's too much. It How do you defend much. that? You, there's. It's way too much. It's too much. It's way too it's too much mentally, physically. Yeah. But remember at the beginning how they were sat sitting there laughing, laughing. and stuff. But now the one is MIA. This one's asked for medical leave because just having to view the photos or hear the details, that would be so taxing. Imagine the details he was given to them knowing they can't divulge it. Yeah. That's probably where they broke and say, I can't do this. Yeah. Because, you know, he was arrogant. He's like, yeah, I did this, and I did this, and... And I loved it. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's the thing. 
So it, it had to have had a toll on them eventually. Yes. I can't imagine being a jerk oh, or something like that. No. And then after, you know, even though it wasn't related, the one got murdered until they found out it was unrelated. The stress that that would have yeah. caused. So Ugh. sad. So in view of all the costly delays that had already occurred, Judge Tynan refused to grant a, a suspension, but commandeered help for Hernandez. He replaced the invisible Arturo with a criminal lawyer, Ray Clark, an attorney of merit. Clark virtually took over the case of the defense with um, Al Alacrity. Alacrity. He was a well-meaning and clever lawyer who reshaped the defense's platform by trying to show that Ramirez, in many instances, was a victim of mistaken identity. But it was all too late for that and no avail. How can that be mistaken identity? No. You've got so many witnesses. That's a bunch of bullshit. Right and there. his attitude and his behavior in the court, you don't, you can't, you can't mistake that. No. And there were 165 <gasps> witnesses. So of oh. the 165 witnesses who addressed the court, most of them brought damaging testimony against the defendant. Good. Witness after witness for the prosecution had sworn under oath identifying Ramirez. They remembered his exact words, his cursing to the devil, and they were simply unable to forget those pair of dark eyes that despite the masquerade of sunglasses were Richard Ramirez's. Nice. Um, the shades, for that matter, concealed absolutely nothing, especially the negativity, kinetic thing that dwelt beneath them. Because um, that energy is still going to come through. Of I mean, course. it's just seeping out of his pores. Um, as during um, his preliminary hearing, Ramirez remained his uncontrollable self throughout the court, defying the judge orders to keep quiet, muttering under his breath at witnesses and bursting into idiotic laughter during damaging testimony. What a ballsy ass. Anyways, at the trial, the killer played to the press, declares J. Robert Nash in his crime ethology, Blood Letters and Bad Men. He flashed the palm of his hand where he yeah. had drawn a livid sign of the pentagram. Mm -hmm. On other occasions, he sat listening to the prosecution condemn him for his crimes. He placed two upturned fingers on the either side of his temples. Oh, my God. To indicate horns and intoned evil, evil, evil. Uh, not the way to befriend a jury. <laughs> no, not at all. That's not a mistaken identity. Hello? No. That's like, I'm going to curse you. I'm saying, you know, whatever. What an idiot. Okay. So closing arguments having ended in July, it was now the jury's turn to summon a verdict. Um, I can't see. wait to hear what they said. I know. Delays, a trademark of the Ramirez case, occurred even during jury deliberation. One juror was fired for sleeping and replaced with an alternative. I don't know if I could fall asleep during something like that. I couldn't even go home and go to sleep. I know, no. Frighteningly, another was murdered by a jealous boyfriend. We talked about that. Yeah. She, too, was replaced. But both these occurrences drew time. Months crawled while the nation awaited a verdict. On September 20th, 1989, Richard Ramirez was brought from his cell to hear what the jury members untimed, ultimately decided guilty on all accounts. Nice. Despite pleas from the defense, the jury recommended death. Nice. <laughs> Love it. So when Judge Tynan asked the prisoner if he had anything to say on his own behalf, Ramirez and true Night Stalker men 
Cursicourt, Cursigers, Curse the World. I need not look beyond this room to see all the liars, haters, the killers, the crooks, the paranoid cowards, truly trematodes of the earth, he rambled. You maggots make me sick, one and all. I'm beyond your experiences. I am beyond good and evil. That one we gave earlier, but I still want to repeat that again. Um, But the nation cared not what he had to say. All it cared was that he was not beyond the gas chamber. In the end, that's all that mattered most. And I think, too, I would be like, I don't give a shit what you're saying. Yeah, you're going to die. Yeah. Go meet your Satan. Yeah. You know. Go go crawl up his ass. Wow. Let him take your eyes and... Yeah. Now see. Um, But there was one more side to consider, that of the victims who lived and the victims' families. On November 11th, 1989, USA Today quoted Don Nelson, who had found the mutilated remains of his mother, Joyce, in July of 1985, asked what he thought of his mother's killer's death sentence. Nelson replied, It doesn't bring my mom back, but he can no longer threaten anybody. I still see what my mom looked like as a result of what he did. Mm. And that's something I'm going to have to deal with over the remainder of my life. That gives me goose pimples and it cheers me up because that image will never never go away. No. No, The damage is forever. And for those victims that lived. The therapy alone. It's not going to do much. And like the girl that was shot in the face, she's probably disfigured. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like it's a lifetime damage. And that's, I think they get off on that because they know for someone's lifetime, they've destroyed their life. Yes. It is. So as a victim, and I'm, I know you guys are awesome and you're survivors and I hope that you've gone out and you know, have been able to do yes. something amazing and, and do, you know, to bring awareness and stuff. Um, Our heart goes out to the victims that are yes. still here and we have nothing and but love, light and peace for and you. And hopefully just, yeah. someday you can find some of it. Yeah. And, you know, our... We bow to you for your strength and for your courage. Just being able to get through that to get night through, yes. what to you. Bless you all. Bless you all. Yeah. That breaks my heart. So let's talk about some romantic relationships. Oh, he me. had relationships? <laughs> okay, so by the time of the trial, Ramirez had fans who were writing him oh. and paying him visits. How can you be a fan? But that is the thing, though. All these serial killers, they all have women. Well, if they're male, well, maybe even the women. But they have these fans that are pining after him. And they they want that relationship with him, which is insane. I mean, those should go to jail with them. I know. I don't know. I think a lot of them are just sick. Um, beginning in 1985, Doreen Leoy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. Huh. In 1988, Ramirez proposed to Leoy, and on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State Prison. Uh, yeah. For many years before Ramirez's death, Leoy stated that she would commit suicide when, when, when Ramirez was executed. However, Leoy eventually broke ties with Ramirez in 2009 after DNA confirmed he had raped and murdered our very first beautiful victim, nine-year-old Mei Ling. Yeah. Um, By the time of his death in 2013, Ramirez was engaged to a 23-year-old writer. Oh, Uh, my God. Yeah. I mean, 
these people take stupidity to a whole nother level. Yes, they do. And there was appeals. On August 5th, 2006, Ramirez's first round of state appeals ended unsuccessfully when the California Supreme Court upheld his convictions and death sentence. On September 7th, 2006, the California Supreme Court denied his request for a rehearing. Ramirez had additional appeals pending until the time of his death. So let's talk about his death a little bit. Yes. Um, Ramirez died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma, so they didn't even get the chance to fry him. Uh, Really? Yep, and he died at Marin General Hospital in uh, Green Bay, California, on June 7th, 2013. He had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection, which when you do a lot of drugs, you know, that um, comes with it. That comes with the territory. Yeah. So (laughs) is that contagious? Like when he was raping and they survived, would he transmit that to them? I don't know. I know that I don't know on the hepatitis stuff. I know that we get vaccine vaccines and stuff. So maybe it is. I don't know. Could you imagine on top of everything else? Oh, you left me with, you know, hep C. Yeah. Or, I mean, even during that time frame was the AIDS epidemic. But, I mean, that was, you know, LGBTQ stuff. But still. Um, So let's end with all the pop culture. So the first one is Manhunt, Search for the Night Stalker, in 1989. It's a TV movie by Bruce Seth Green based on the true story of Richard Ramirez and the two Los Angeles police detectives who tried to track them down. Second one is Night Stalker. Mm -hmm. It's a 2002 film written and directed by uh, Chris Fisher based on Ramirez. Um, Night Stalker is a 2009 film written and directed by Uli Lomel based on Richard Ramirez. Um, Richard Ramirez Died Today of Natural Causes is a 2013 song by Soon Kill Moon on the album Benji, dealing with cultural and personal impact of Ramirez's uns- unsensational death relative to the fear of his activity once induced, which I kind of feel like... What a slap in the face to yeah. die of natural causes. Yeah, that it makes me mad. Um, let's see. That makes me mad, too. Like, I would have... Okay, you're dead. I would have chopped him up or something. Yes. Yeah. It's too bad. It's terrible. Um, The Night Stalker is a 2016 film directed by Megan uh, Griffiths and stars Lou Diamond Phillips as Ramirez. I think I remember that movie. Um, American Horror Story. Ramirez is uh, featured in the fifth and ninth seasons of the FX horror um, anthology series, initially being portrayed by... Anthony Ruvivar, and then later by Zach Via. By Anthony Ruvivar, and then... Oh, I read that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Richard Ramirez is a song by Skinned from their uh, episode chapter 1, 2018. Just a Guy is a 2020 documentary film about Ramirez and the woman he corresponded with. Um, Night Soccer, The Hunt for a Serial Killer is a 2021 documentary. I want to see that one. Released by Netflix, featuring first-person interviews, archival footage, newly shot reenactments, and original photography related to the case. I'm going to go see that when I go home. Yeah, I think I'm going to look that one up. And then, um, just again, Wikipedia and Murderpedia. 
Um, but yeah, what a what a story, huh? Holy cow! Okay, and how intense. So I'm such a freaky organized person. So I have I can now take Richard Ramirez out of my uh, and put it into done and put it into done. And I'm so glad as I complete some of these. I don't know if it moves. I'll check later. But as I complete some of these, it's like it. So it just really helps me to move them because when I do these, I put so much energy into them and. Unfortunately, it allows some of their energy to come back. And so when I can cross one of these off my list, it's, it's like, like they're out of your... I can you, breathe You can again. let them go. Yeah. It's a lot to, to, to listen. listen. Even, huh? It's a lot. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I've gotten so much better with my research that I can kind of get through these um, pretty quickly, which is nice as well. Um, but it's, it's just mind-blowing to me. These, the brazen... The bra- just his brazen behavior of like, I'm just gonna. Go- I mean, he was slaughtering people multiple in a night. And yeah, how he escalated from going every month or so yeah. to doing multiple people in one night. Like, and if they didn't catch him, God knows what he would have done. Exactly. Yeah. That so, uh, that oh. Thank you to it the It makes LAPD. my skin crawl. Yes, and yes. to the um, county, all of you guys. Thank you for bringing him. And for and the public. Salerno. Yes. Holy cow! He and, should be awarded. And to those amazing citizens who took, took him, down him down and kicked him to the dirt, literally. Heck yeah! <laughs> yes, oh. yes. All right, palate cleanser, guys. Yes, please, please. Um, This one? I'm still, I still have goosebumps. I do too. I I can't shake them off, so. Yeah. This one is commitments. Um, It's like a young lady. She kind of, it's a young witch. She's got a red cloak and wolves around her. So let's see what it says. Um, It says, foreseeing the inevitable for Britain's wolves, a Caledonian coven took the last uh, last of them and hid them safely away in a rock and wood they can only become flesh and blood once more when their protectors come to awaken them wolves are hidden throughout the picture and young kelly sweet is entrusted with their hiding place her responsibility as great as the uh, mountain looming over her she has commitment in equal measure for a witch knows that a promise is not made lightly nor is it ever broken assess your commitments and accept only that which you can manage and i feel like this actually fits pretty good because the commitment of the officers the commitment of, of the, the citizens, citizens to catch this yes guy. yes and so right on look at your commitments assess your commitments and one thing that my guides are saying to me is that are the things that you're putting your energy into your true commitments and I'm even thinking on that for myself, which Mm -hmm. I can say yes now that I've had a redirection, but ask yourself, are the commitments that you've committed to, is it for your higher self? Is it selfish reasons? Um, Reassess those so that you can make sure that you alter your path in time to get to the greatest outcome. So Yes. um, Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to tell you where you can find us. 
You can find us in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Inbox, Deezer, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Pass, RSS, and TuneIn. Please, 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 we're begging you to uh, follow us, share, and uh, rate us. It's yes, very important. Us, yes. And share your stories with us. Um, yeah. We have an email. We're dying to uh, hear from you what you think. Or if you have any stories you want to share with us, please do. Um, so that we can put like a listener's episode where we would share your story mm-hmm. uh, with everybody. That'll be something that we're really looking forward to. Our email is whathappensafterdarkll at gmail.com. Yes, and if you were like around, what I would love to hear like a first account of oh, one yes. of the citizens that took this asshole down. Oh, wouldn't that be I amazing? Know, that would be so amazing. To if have. you guys are still out there and you're listening, please email us. I mean, you have no idea the admiration, uh, the strength, and the courage that that took to take this monster down. We'd love to hear from you and ask you questions. I mean, this that would be like that would be amazing, amazing, a dream come true. Yeah. Yes, and you can find us at face on Facebook at Luna L U N A W A D W H A D Lee L E E. Instagram is What Happens After Dark L L. TikTok is W H A D twelve ten. Wide twelve ten, and please visit our Patreon. Please, please, please donate. You'll find um, exclusive content and merchandise, and a community of uh, listeners that come together, comment on there. Um, your donations will be rewarded. We'll send out merchandise. We'll um, feature you on our show. You know, you'll be named of who our patrons are. And yeah, guys, we just we want to keep doing this for you guys. It does take time it takes energy and it takes money to do it but but we're gonna do it we're gonna continue to do it we're not gonna stop we're gonna make it no matter how long it takes and if we don't hey we love doing it so yeah we love doing this so this is for us too yeah (laughs) all right people thank you thank you thank you yes stay safe be aware be courageous, stand up, help others. And instead of pulling out your cell phone to make a video, you know, pull out your fists. Yeah. That's that's my advice. I mean, nowadays we got to, you know, take care of each other. Yep, stand together. Stand together United. as one like these people did to catch these monster. So, yeah, stay safe and stay safe. Thank you. 